a demographic that is frequently neglected as children. So. All right, John chapter 13. <laughs> All right. All right, let's read, guys. <clears throat> now, now before the feast of, of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and uh, that he should, his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you'll know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant isn't greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I don't speak, I don't speak concerning all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you, one of you will betray me. Then, then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you can't come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by this, all will know that you are my followers, my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied, denied me three times. Well, <laughs> all right, you guys, let's pray. And then we'll jump in. Um, it's a short chapter. It's only 38 verses this week. So let's pray. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Uh, Father, we need you as we come to this this uh, portion of the text and some of the things that are spoken here um, maybe can be a little bit hard to hear. Uh, but also, there's a lot of encouragement here, um, a challenge for what it looks like to follow you. Um, and an and encouragement in that, Lord. But God, at the, at the end of the day, as we come again to the scriptures, it's you that we're needing. Not, not just some exciting time together. Not an emotional high. It is you, the living and true God, that we, that we require, Lord, moment by moment. And, and it's in you, Lord, that we find joy and peace and grace. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit in us, that we would be helpful, helpful in our families, in our community, in, a, in a, the fellowship of believers together, Lord, that we would be willing to serve one another, not just in this group, but, but our brothers and sisters who, who gather all over the city. Lord, we are so thankful for the good work you have done and are doing in so many and continue to do. And we ask that you would continue to work through us. Lord, we are your servants. Speak to us, Lord, because we're listening. Change us. Change us deep inside in a way that only you can. Please, 
please do that work in us that only you can, Father. That's what I want. And so I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys, back up with me to um, verse 1 of chapter 13. This is our time, setting the time frame. This is this Passover festival, one of the three required feasts for uh, all men in Israel to gather in Jerusalem uh, where the temple was uh, at this time. So now, before the feast of Passover, this is right before Passover. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Does it, do those phrases make sense to you? It's, it's like the weirdest written thing. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, and now we expect some sort of action, right? He loved them to the end. That's the action. That's it. That's what he did. That's the thing he did. He, he loved them to the end. Everything that follows from this is John revealing what Jesus' love looks like as he washes their feet, as he surrenders himself and lays his life down on the cross for them. In fact, those things so enamored John, and we'll get to it later on today. We're going to read some of 1 John, that John talks about them later on, right? These same ideas. He loved them to the end, to to the uttermost. (laughs) That's the thing he did. <laughs> he loved them to the end. Knowing, I love this, knowing um, that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Knowing what's going to happen, he just loved the people around him. I think that's really precious, and I think it's really important for us too, because, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this in the future, but sometimes we can get stuck in these, what does God want me to do, and what about my past, and what does the future hold, and we're trying to figure out all this stuff, and how to handle things that have happened before, and uh, how to handle what we think is going to come, what we're expecting in the future. The reality is we don't know what's going to come in the future, uh, obviously, and uh, the things in the past are themselves past Uh, But when we find ourselves uh, recognizing that we can, in this moment, answer that question, what do I do now? Right now, you can love the people around you. Right now, no matter what has happened in the past, no matter what the future holds, in this moment in which you and I live, this is the only moment we live in, is the present, (laughs) you can love. You can love the people around you. Jesus is going to demonstrate to us what that means, what that looks like. Okay, um, it, it's it's easy though because it's so easy to get caught up in regret because of past things. It's so easy to get caught up in anxieties and fears about the future because our minds we like to play tricks on ourselves about things we think might could happen. Um, <laughs> and frequently, in the middle of that as we're either wrapped up in the past and figuring that out or wrapped up in the future and anxious over it, frequently we just neglect to love right now in the present, whoever is around us in the present. So, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's the thing he did. He loved them to the end. 
we use the word in America, in uh, English, the word love, frequently to talk about how we feel about things rather than uh, to talk about, uh, to describe how we're acting. The scriptural idea of love is that it is an activity. It's something that we do, right? It's a verb. It's not simply a, a noun. It's not simply a descriptor about how we feel about something. When we say, I love you, right? We're saying, oh, I feel con- you know, affectionate thoughts about you, right? Uh, the biblical idea of love, uh, and there's more than one Greek word. Remember, the New Testament writings were written in Greek, the Greek language, the f- common Greek of the first century, uh, primarily. Um, there were uh, really four uh, Greek words for the word love, and we see several of them used throughout the scriptures, but um, the central idea, or the central point I want to make about that is simply to remind you that love is something that we do. We either, we either are acting in love, or we aren't. <coughs> and of course then, the question becomes, what then does it look like to act in love toward the people around us? Jesus addresses that in, with his own actions. What does it look like? He's going to give us a new commandment, which is what this whole, really the focus of this chapter is for me. So, supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. That's sort of one step here. The devil has put it into his heart, to, um, into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. There is a plot that has been put into a seed that has been planted, if you would, in um, Judas' heart. To betray Jesus. And then verse 3 continues. Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. And that he had come from God and was going to God. I really like that because that's like the things that we always wrestle with. Or like what, what about the past? Jesus knowing that he had come from God. And knowing. <laughs> he's, he's like I want to share too. <laughs> um knowing that he had come from God and was going to God. I really like that because it reminds me of that thing that I just mentioned to you about how we can easily be caught up either in the past or in our in our anxieties and fears about our failures or regrets or things we could have done differently about the past or maybe things that have happened to us, maybe things that others have done to us. We can frequently be um, um, ensnared, caught in a trap in those things, difficult to move beyond them. Uh, and, and then on the other side, we can also also be caught in the trap of the fear and the anxiety of what the future holds because we don't know what the future holds. And, and we can think of lots of things that might happen, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, as it says here, uh, when he had come, when he knew that he had come from God and was going to God, he knew that knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. And that's a very particular place that Jesus holds as uh, the only begotten Son of God, equal to the Father, existing eternally. But I like this, that he had come from God and was going to God. The past and the future settled. Because they're settled, he's able to love right here in the present moment that he's in. And what he chooses to do is um, a little bit shocking. <laughs> uh, when he knew these things, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, here's what he did. This is what his love looked like. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. 
So he took his clothes off. Do you see that? He laid aside his garments. He took the clothes off that he was wearing it uh, there with the disciples. Um, he laid aside his garments. He took a towel and he girded himself with it. He wrapped a towel around himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, I'm, I have a very picturesque mind. And so like in my brains, I'm trying to like, I'm imagining what this is like. What are the disciples doing while he's doing this? When he's, he gets up from the table and they're watching him and he takes his clothes off and he wraps a towel around his waist and then he starts to fill a, a, a bowl with water. What are they thinking? <laughs> like, they're probably like, what, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> what's, what's going on here? And then he goes and starts to wash their feet. So I have a bowl of water right here. No, I'm just kidding. I don't no. <laughs> uh, this is one of those things that sometimes people have uh, have uh, wanted to. I don't like to use the the phrase "take it literally." I I, I take it literally too. Jesus actually did it, right? <laughs> um, but sometimes when, when we read the scriptures, people take this as a thing where it's like, "Well, this is what you have to do. This exact thing." Uh, he is setting an example for them, but I'm not so sure that it's just that. It, just that, just washing somebody's feet. Uh, though that is an incredibly humbling thing to participate in, both for, I think in our culture, both for the one washing feet and the person whose feet are washed, right? Because uh, some of y'all got gross toes, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm one to talk. I have hob- hobbit feet, like giant feet that are, you know, hairy and stuff. <laughs> you guys have seen Hobbit, Lord of the Rings? Anyway. <laughs> He rose from supper and he laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself with it. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. A basin is just a bowl. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. His towel wrapped around his waist. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? So right, others are getting their feet washed and then he comes to Simon Peter who had a knack for putting his own foot in his mouth. <laughs> and uh yeah but say you know saying the wrong thing at the wrong time so uh he he came to Simon Peter and he said to him lord are you washing my feet it's Simon's response in verse 7 Jesus answered and said to him what i am doing you don't understand now but you will know after this there were a lot of things and we get to the end of John's gospel and we get to the beginning of the book of acts we'll find that when the holy spirit was um was finally given to the disciples in in the particular way that we see in Acts chapter 2, what we find is that their understanding about many of the things that had happened in the time they spent with Jesus, their understanding was opened. There were a lot of things that Jesus did during the time period when they were like, what? Why is he, huh? <laughs> you know. But then when the Holy Spirit comes, God enables them to understand things that they hadn't previously understood about what Jesus did. This seems to be one of those things, and Jesus is plainly saying it. What I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. (laughs) Who talks to Jesus like Peter does, right? Like Peter's constantly saying stuff like that, you know. Uh, Earlier on when Jesus talked about uh, how he would be betrayed and how he would be crucified and how he would rise from the dead, uh, Peter's response is, is, no, Lord, not so. It's not going to happen to you. Remember, and Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. That was his response to Peter in that moment, you know. Um, Who talks to Jesus like this? One of the things I love about the scriptures is that we find that Jesus can handle our real talk, if I can say it that way. Like, 
if you grew up in in Christiany circles, sometimes you think that like you have to like God always needs you to deal with him with kitty gloves on, but like God's a lot rougher than you. Let me just say that <laughs> like he he can handle the worst that you have to throw at him. And in fact, I think he wants you to lay it lay it out for him. Because what happens sometimes is we don't deal with the reality of how we feel sometimes with God the reality of some things like grief um, the heaviness of life at times uh, because we're trying to, to make things nice because we're trying to play by the religious rules um, but, but I don't think God cares about any of that stuff what he wants is you you are his child you've been born again by the spirit of God born from above and he loves you you've already been redeemed that's the great news of the gospel you're already saved I don't sit here in front of you to try to tell you that you need to try to act better to get into God's kingdom. I'm, I'm not trying to announce to you a moralist's message that says, try to do your best and maybe God will accept you. In fact, the great news and the reason why it is good news, the gospel, the reason why it is the gospel is because it is the exact opposite of that. Not, not please try your best or please do better, but instead you, you're, you're, you've already failed, but God will accept you just as you are. That's the great news. That Jesus rescues sinners. Isn't that good news? But I know that there's a, there's a whole mindset shift that has to happen because the, the religious ideas around the world are such that uh, we are told, here are the things you need to try to do. And if you can accomplish these things, then, then you'll be good enough. You'll attain to nirvana or you'll, you'll get paradise or you'll get whatever. Fill in the blank in any religious system. They're all centered around that idea, around you demonstrating that you are righteous. But the scriptures come. The prophets of Israel come and say, you are not righteous. <laughs> no, no, not one. There is none righteous. No, not one. There are none who seek after God. And God comes to you in, in your spiritual death and he gives you life. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, he made alive together with him in the Messiah, Paul says in Ephesians 2. Isn't that wonderful news? <laughs> that God does this work. God does it in us. And because of that, we're, <laughs> we're, we're fully accepted. I heard that, that uh, <laughs> like projectile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it's, it's one of our babies. Good. <laughs> So, Jesus says, what I'm doing, you don't understand, but you'll know after this. Peter's response, you shall never wash my feet. So Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. By the way, that really is what the gospel is about. As I just mentioned to you, it really is about Jesus washing us. It's about Jesus making you clean. Isn't that good news? If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. As I've heard it been said before, Peter's like, okay, well, if you have to wash me, because if you don't wash me, then then I have no part with you, then Simon Peter's like, Lord, I'm all in. You know, just everything. Just 
wash my whole body, you know, my hands, my head, my feet, just give me a bath, you know, like the whole deal, you know. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. But not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. This is after supper, after the Passover supper. After Jesus is washing their feet. He was bathed and he's only to wash his feet. This would have been a normal thing, right? You already had your bath. Keep in mind, this is first century Israel. You walk around with sandals all day long, you're going to have some dirty feet, right? Just a normal thing. It was commonplace to wash feet when you uh, when you went places. Uh, we find that Jesus addressed that uh, in a story in Luke's gospel uh, when there was a woman who wiped his feet with her hair in that particular story. Uh, Jesus talked to the owner of the house because the owner of the house is like, if this guy was really a prophet, he'd know what kind of lady this is, right? Because she was, in his eyes, wasn't a good, <laughs> wasn't a reputable lady. And um, Jesus' uh, response to him was, you didn't give me a kiss when I came to your house. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't have anybody wash my feet either. Right? But she's doing this. She hasn't stopped kissing me, hasn't stopped kissing my feet. This uh, greeting of care and of love and washing his feet uh, with her hair. Now Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. I really like that he says to Simon Peter, he was bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean and you are clean. <sighs> and then I don't like the other part, but not all of you. <laughs> That's really sad. <laughs> right? <laughs> like you are clean, but not all of you. Right? And and that's really I mean it's still true, right? Uh, uh, odds are in any um, group of any particular size. Um, but there are those who have been cleansed, who trust him, and, and possibly some one or some who haven't. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you're not all clean. Verse 12 continues. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. I want to stop right there for a second. You and I don't have to wonder about what Jesus meant by what he was doing here. We don't have to sit back and say, let's, f- let's figure out some great, cool spiritual point and make up something about what this means to have Jesus wash your feet. Good news, we don't have to do that. You know why? Because the text that Jesus says why he does it. <laughs> he's he's going to answer that, right? So, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord or your master, that's what Lord means. It means the one over you, the one who's in a position over you, your Lord. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 4 verse 15 continues, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you do these things, blessed are you 
if you know these things, rather. Blessed are you if you do them. A couple of things uh, really quickly about this section. Uh, Firstly, uh, I think it's really, really important to understand that this is such a common theme throughout the New Testament teaching about what it means to follow Jesus. Even the person who is in the position of authority, the Lord and teacher, he says, if I humble myself and serve you by washing your feet, this is what you ought to do to each other. This is how you ought to serve one another. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done, that as I have done to you. Uh, a couple of places where this idea is talked about, particularly by the Apostle Paul, uh, one of them, um, uh, one of them is in First Corinthians chapter ten, um, when Paul says this. In First Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things build up or edify. Because sometimes we have questions about what it's, what's okay to do if I'm following Jesus. What's okay to do and what's not okay to do? There are certain issues that are what you and I might refer to as gray areas. Things that the scriptures aren't clear about. And we're also good at judging each other when we don't live up to each other's expectations about what those things are, right? Which is, of course, wrong. And Paul says this. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. The word edify means to build something up, to make it stronger, to construct something, that idea. So here's his guiding principle about how we are to govern ourselves as followers of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24, he says this, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Um, Simply put, put others above yourself. Paul echoes that same theme when he talks about um, this idea in uh, Philippians in Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Paul talks about this exact same idea or principle when he says this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in the Messiah, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And here's that guiding principle. Let each one of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Going back to that ancient question of the first brothers, after the, um, after the elder brother killed the younger, after Cain killed Abel, and God said to him, Um, what have you done, or where is your brother? Uh, Cain's response was, am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) Well, the overarching principle that guides the life of the follower of Jesus is, yes, you and I are to take care of each other. (laughs) We're to serve each other. We're to help each other. Whereas, Uh, Generally speaking, the guiding principle of the world is, and the one that comes most naturally to me is, I will do what makes me happy and what helps me first. And if 
serving others or doing good to them uh, costs me something or requires me to give up something of myself or, or is simply unpleasant, then I'm not going to do it. That, of course, is what comes most naturally to all of us. But Jesus has set for us a different example, one that's echoed throughout the New Testament when he, as Lord and teacher, takes off his garments, puts a towel around his waist, and washes the feet of the disciples. He demonstrates to them that there's no, there's nothing that, that really, that they should be above doing to help one another. And I think that's an interesting idea. Because sometimes we can think, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm kind of above that, right? If it comes to something like maybe, this is one example that, um, uh, that, we've, that I've thought about in the past. Uh, when it comes to something like, well, I can help the, the fellowship or the church by helping clean the toilets, right, at our building, whatever. It's like, <laughs> do I think I'm above that, right, that sort of thing? Or am I not above that? The overarching principle, though, is one about concern for, for others. How can I help people around me? This sort of attitude is one that is beneficial for our uh, marriages, beneficial for our relationship with our children, helpful for our community together as followers of Jesus. Because if I'm asking, how can I serve the other people that meet with us, right? How can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I do good for you? Then it's going to put me in a different place than saying, I'm meeting together or I'm gathering together with this group because of what they're doing for me or because of what I'm getting out of it. But instead we can ask the question, how can we serve? How can we help one another, right? Jesus sets this example before us. Serving others will never bring anyone into the kingdom of God. Only God can do that. <laughs> Only Jesus can do that. I'm not here to give you another rule to keep. You've got to do good to others or else you're not going to be in his kingdom. No, what I'm telling you is that Jesus has announced that there's a new way to live for those who've already been accepted into the kingdom of heaven. You've been born from above. You know where you've been. You know where you're going. Jesus has promised you where you're going. And we'll get to that a lot in the next chapter. In chapter 14, Jesus lays out a lot of that, that theology of, of what is coming for the believer. When he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And, and then he says, if it weren't so, I would have told you. Because it is true. He's making an eternal and, and unending place for us to live forever. So if I know these things, then I can do as Jesus did. I can take off my clothes. I'm not going to take off my clothes. Uh, I, can <laughs> I can wrap a towel around my waist and I can serve you. I, I don't have to think of myself and you don't have to think of yourself as above or better than anyone else. In fact, instead, we can, we can esteem others better than ourselves. I think that a lot of our marriages would do well with this kind of attitude. One that says, not what is he or she doing for me, but instead, am I being helpful? Am I serving my spouse? Am I doing good for them? I think a lot of our relationships with our kids can be the same way. Not are they doing what I need, but instead, am I serving them? Am I helping them? I think a lot of our relationships uh, w w in our workplaces can really benefit from this reality. <coughs> Because the world is filled with people who are naturally like me, <laughs> self-centered. 
And Jesus is saying, I want to set you free from that and I want to make you into something different. Something like Him, that we would reflect His character. Where even as Lord and teacher, He humbles Himself and, and does this maybe menial task of washing feet, right? washing feet <laughs> what is it that I think is below me in helping others Jesus then ends that section with this last verse for 17 it's very short if you know these things blessed are you if you do them that's exactly what uh, James writes about when he says um, faith without works is dead. It's not enough to say, I know what Jesus said. Instead, it's important. And we are blessed when we do those things. Right? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. There are many who hear the scriptures and then don't do anything about it. I don't speak concerning all of you. Man, this is really sad. <laughs> I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. This is um, one of David's psalms. Psalm 41. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus recognizes that this is messianic. That this also refers to him and what's going to happen to him. Particularly, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Very, very specific prophecy. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. This idea of receiving uh, whomever Jesus sends is interesting because um, of the 12 here, at least 11 of them become what you and I call apostles. And the apostles, the word apostle means somebody who is specifically sent out by someone else. They had a very particular mission that they had received from Jesus and they were sent out to fulfill that. There were a couple other people in the New Testament called apostles, but it was a very limited role, at least what we find written in the scriptures was a very limited role. And one of the requirements in the New Testament of being an apostle was that you had to have seen Jesus alive from the dead. So you actually had to have seen him after the resurrection. That's a pretty stiff requirement. And so I'm always a little skeptical when somebody comes along these days and they're like, I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm like, you're what now? <laughs> it's a little, uh, uh, you know, what do you mean by that is, is the question I frequently have. Does that mean like whatever you say is something that people have to do, you know? I guess I, I, I'm, I'm wondering about what kind of authority we claim for ourselves sometimes. Um, but most assuredly, as we read, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Uh, but there was one who was going to betray him. Verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. W one of the things I want you to pay attention to as we read through this is how, even though Jesus knows, he knows who it is, he knows what's happening, like these statements like this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Like he was still, it, it still affected him. 
He was aware of what was happening and it still had an effect on him. He knew what was going to happen um, in the end. He, he knew all of these things. Um, but the reality of them as they played out still had an effect on him. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, I think it's interesting because we have a way of thinking that um, if you're a good Christian and if you do everything that you're supposed to do, then you're not going to ever be afraid and you're not going to have anxiety and you're not going to be affected by the things around you. And I think that's a really weird way to think. Some people do embrace those ideas. And if you do have anxieties or if you do have fears, if you do have those things, sometimes people then want to doubt your, um, your confession or doubt your relationship to the Lord, or maybe you do. And I think that's unnecessary. <laughs> I think one of the reasons why Jesus frequently says to the disciples, don't be afraid, is because he knows I need to hear that. Sometimes I'm afraid. No, you and I don't have to allow fear to govern our lives. But sometimes I do. And Jesus still rescues me. <laughs> That's the great news. It's, he, he's so incredibly patient and humble with us. <clears throat> he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Do you realize, like, they had no idea. Nobody thought it was Judas. They were, they were confused. Like, what do you mean? Somebody's going to betray you? Nobody's like, oh, we know who it is. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's that guy. You know, no, nobody knew, right? Judas knew, <laughs> Right? the first thing we read earlier on said that uh, the devil had put it into his heart. Now, there's a progression that John is uh, sort of leading to with that, and it's a terrifying progression. And I wish I knew exactly what it meant, <laughs> but it's terrifying <laughs> uh, to me. Um, the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom uh, one of his disciples, um, the idea here is, um, I think, the idea is um, that the disciples are all reclined or laying down around the table where they had eaten dinner. This would have been a common position for them. And so John, who was writing this book, and we find that out later on, John, uh, who's writing this, uh, is there next to Jesus, and he's leaning on Jesus' chest. He's right there in, in that position, right there next to him. Um, all right, there we go. Um, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's how John refers to himself in, in numerous places in this writing. The disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what he calls himself. <laughs> I, again, I love that as well. But um, He was leaning on Jesus' bosom, this disciple whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. You gotta like, this is, they're all sitting at the table and Simon's like, ask him, John, ask him. Who's, who's he talking about? Somebody's going to betray him? What, what's he talking about? John asked him, you know? And John's right there next to Jesus, right? Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? So he leans back and no doubt looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, who is it that's going to do this? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, this is 
horrifying. What? Do you, what? Do you see what it says? What? After the piece of bread, the idea seems to be after he ate the piece of bread, um, Satan entered him. What? Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. John had just asked who it was. Jesus said, It's the person I'm going to you know, give the bread that I've dipped to. Everybody else doesn't know what's happening. John's aware of what's happening because Jesus just told them. But everybody else doesn't know. And they think, as the text says, Um, No one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. And verse 29 continues, For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy these things, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So they're thinking, the others around the table are thinking, Oh, well, well, Jesus is just telling... uh, telling Judas to, you know, go go uh, prepare things they need for the feast or go give some money to the poor since he was their treasurer. <laughs> Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. That's really sad. <laughs> uh, the next time we'll see Judas is when he comes with the mob to arrest Jesus and then there's regret. And eventually he'll hang himself. That's a really sad tale. But I think at the very bottom of this, it's important to remember that none of this surprised him. And also to remember one of Jesus' teachings. A hard one. Because not only does Jesus want us to love one another, not only does he want us to serve one another, but in the Sermon on the Mount, John, or, or in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, this teaching that Jesus gave, Jesus said to the disciples, um, uh, love your enemies. And if there's anyone, I think, that we might consider an enemy of Jesus, certainly it would be the one who pretended to be his friend <laughs> and who betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And yet all the while, even though Jesus knows, he is still patient with Judas. He is still loving him. That is shocking to me. And it it also reminds us that Jesus is the embodiment of the things that he teaches. Love your enemies. Love your enemies? Do good to those who, who spitefully use you. Give to everyone who asks of you. From him who wants to take from you, don't withhold it. The question, the only real question is, do I believe him? (laughs) Do I believe that he is able to protect or that he is able to restore or that he is able to repay? This is a hard thing for me to teach my kids. I try to teach them these things in their relationship to each other. Like, you don't have to fight. (laughs) If if your sibling wants to take from you, just let them take from you. God will make it right. (laughs) But no, I have to fight for it because it's mine. It's, it's all mine, you know. And they're only embodying me. <laughs> they're only echoing me, my reality, you know. <clears throat> Jesus loved his enemy, this enemy, even to the end. 
having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. Last few verses. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. These things are about to be fulfilled. All the things that were prophesied about Jesus surrendering his life, about this sacrifice to take away sin forever, the fulfillment of all of the the prophetic writings of the prophets uh, of Israel. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Indeed, God is glorified in the offering and the sacrifice of Jesus for sins because God becomes both just and the justifier of all those who come to God through Jesus. Here's what I mean. God doesn't simply wink at our sin and excuse it and say, wink, wink, it's okay that you messed up. It's okay that you sinned. It's totally fine, wink, wink. Nope. God judges our sin and deals with it and pays the fine that we owe for our sin. But in the sacrifice of Jesus and everyone who participates in that sacrifice by believing him, the payment for our sin is made in Jesus' sacrifice. He becomes the substitution for us. He dies uh, enduring the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion to God so that we are then uh, able to go free and so that God is just because he's still punishing all sin. The only question is, on whom is our sin being punished? (laughs) Either on me because I've rejected this gift of of salvation, this gift that he's offering to me. Either my sin is punished in me when I see him face to face and I stand before the judge, my sin will be rectified, it will be judged, and I am guilty. I am so guilty. (laughs) Or, because of the gift of eternal life, this gift of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, his burial and resurrection from the dead, this good news that God has done for us, for everyone who trusts in him. My sin is judged on Jesus when he died on the cross. That was the payment for my sin so that I can go free and be forgiven, be, have my sin removed from me, and God can be both just because he's still punishing all sin. He is just. He's good. And he's also the one who justifies us. Paul calls him both just and the justifier of all those who come to God through him, through Jesus. Little children, John continues, this will be a common theme in John's writings, by the way, (laughs) calling people little children. I shall be with you, and Jesus is saying this here, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you can't come. So now I say to you, This is something he'd already told the Jews, and they wondered what he meant. They were like, is he going to kill himself? That's something we talked about a couple of chapters earlier. When Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, uh, where I'm going, you can't come, they were confused. Now he's saying it to his disciples. What I said to them now, I'm saying to you, where I'm going, you can't come. So now I say to you, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. A new commandment I give to you. When Jesus was, um, when Jesus was asked about and talked about the great commandment in Moses in the law, the great commandment uh, 
Jesus said was that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said the second commandment is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Both of those are found in Moses. They're both found in the law. One in Deuteronomy and one in Leviticus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus says, now I have a new commandment for you. Not just love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, that's true. But as I have loved you, that you also should love one another. <laughs> How did Jesus love us? I think that becomes the most natural question to ask immediately after hearing that. How did he love us? He gave his life up for us. So then, if we're asking the question, what do I do? <laughs> I Jesus has rescued me from my sin. I'm alive from the dead. <laughs> what do I do today? What do I do tomorrow? What do I do next year? I think it's really simple. Love one another. <laughs> As he has loved us, so you also ought to love one another. This is one of those moments where the issue that we have is not that we don't know that sometimes I just struggle to obey <laughs> and to struggle to do what he's commanding because I'm thinking of myself a lot. I'm thinking of what I need or what I want or what I think I need more than I'm thinking about what I can do to serve or what I can do to help or how I can be a benefit to you or to others or to my spouse or to my children or, or at my job. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And this is the place, I think, where, uh, if we could say it this way, where the church has failed to a great degree, right? In the eyes of the world around us, right? I mean, we're, we're like a mess. We're very divided and, and uh, you know, one group of Christians seems to really despise another group of Christians and it's like, what? <laughs> We're a mess. <laughs> well, Jason, how do we figure it all out? Guys, I am not that smart. <laughs> what I can tell you is this. In the relationships that you're in, Love the people around you. Lay your life down for them. See, husbands ought to lay their lives down for their wives. Wives ought to lay their lives down for their, for their husbands. Parents ought to lay their lives down for their children. And when I say ought, I mean it's the, it's the right thing to do. It's the thing that God would say to us by His Spirit. This is how you should live. But that means I have to give up a lot. It means I have to give up my pride. Sometimes it means I have to sacrifice some of the things I want to do. You know, kids require time. <laughs> Sometimes it means I have to sacrifice money. But if at the end of the day, I believe that Jesus is able to repay a hundredfold anything that I've given up in obedience to him, and it doesn't matter. 
the question then boils down to, for me, the question boils down to, am I going to trust God that if I give up my this this thing or this pride, <clears throat> do I believe you? That you will meet me, that you will repay God. And so it becomes an issue of trust for me, whether or not I believe what he said. One that I wrestle with. <laughs> and I find myself failing at frequently. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Peter's confused about Jesus saying that they can't go with him where he's going, what he had said to the Jews. He's confused, so he asks about him, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. What exactly does that mean? <laughs> well, m- maybe in a very particular sense, in the fullness of the kingdom, maybe they couldn't follow him then, but they would follow him afterward. For Peter in particular, Peter ends up, um, at least the tradition in church history suggests that Peter ends up being uh, crucified uh, upside down. Where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Again, Peter likes to put his foot in his mouth. (laughs) Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. It's fascinating because he's going to deny Jesus three times. You know, as Jesus says here, he's going to deny him, even deny that he knew him. Um, But eventually this was actually true. (laughs) <laughs> like at first uh, before the Holy Spirit comes and, and uh, brings life to Peter in that very particular way that we see in Acts chapter 2 uh, Peter's afraid he denies that he even knows Jesus uh, but eventually it, this is true he is going to lay his life down uh, for Jesus verse 38 ends the chapter with Jesus telling Peter that he's going to fail uh And I don't want you to miss, if you read chapter 14, because the very next thing Jesus says is, verse 38 says this, Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. I don't think Peter wanted to hear that. But the very next thing, remember chapters and verses were were added later by translators so that we can find the the same place together. Um, The very next thing Jesus says is, let not your heart be troubled. (laughs) It's the very next line right after this. He's still talking about the same thing. Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. And then he continues, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And they have some questions about that. But the very central focus of this is that they can live lives of service of sacrificing because God is working and God has promised something for the future in them the only issue that I have is whether or not I believe him and that's where I find my struggle and so one of the things I need to do frequently is find myself spending more time in the scriptures I want to read to you uh, now uh, from 1st John this is a a letter that John writes uh, later on in his life, um, 
but I want to read to you a little bit uh, from First John here, and then we'll finish up with this. I, I'm going to do my best just to read read what it says because I think it's lovely, and I just want you to to give attention to it. First uh, John chapter one says this: That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus the Messiah. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, the Messiah, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not continue sinning. (laughs) And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Messiah, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth isn't in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. And have not. I haven't written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And then no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and the Father. And, in, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you've received from him abides in you, and you don't need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world doesn't know us because it didn't know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not continue in sin, and whoever continues in sin has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who continues in sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God doesn't continue on in their sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot continue in sin, because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. Whoever doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who doesn't love his brother. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Well, why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus the Messiah, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, He who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he lives in us by the spirit whom he has given us. There's only two more chapters. You guys can finish reading 1 John. (laughs) Um, There's so much that John (laughs) writes there. But the very bottom, it's like John just boils everything down to this simple thing. Like if you've been born of God, love one another. Love each other. (laughs) We ought to lay our lives down for one another. That's the pattern that Jesus shows us. And this is what we see in John chapter 13. As I mentioned to you before, we're going to speed up a little bit as we 
finish the Gospel of John and, and move into the book of Acts here because there's just so much um, for us to go over together. So uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, I'm thankful for your incredible care for us. And I, I pray, God, that you would help us to um, to wrap our minds around this reality of living in this moment in love by asking those very real questions. Um, how can I love this person who's right in front of me? Whether that person is my spouse or whether it is um, my children or uh, some other family member or friend or if it's my enemy. If we are sure that you have forgiven us of our sin and we've been rescued from our past. And Father, if we are confident that we are going to be with you, we know what our future holds. And help us in this moment to live in love, to take care of each other, to esteem others better than ourselves, to look out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others. I confess that this doesn't seem to come naturally to me. And so I ask that you would help. Help, Lord. Please help. And pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, guys. All right, well... Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you. You guys, the Lord lift up his countenance on you and uh, give you peace this week as you continue reading through the scriptures. Uh, I want to encourage you to read through John chapters 14 and 15 uh, for our study next week. And certainly if, you, uh, if you've missed any or you can't make it, um, I want to encourage you to be spending time going over the scriptures, even if it's like, um, listening to the podcast that we have that is just our teachings just listen to the beginning part where we just read through the chapter <laughs> even if you don't listen to the the stuff that i say it's mostly nonsense anyways if you just listen to the the part where you're where it's the text just do that uh, or or download an audio bible or something i just want for us to be spending more time in the scriptures because it's the lord that we need it's jesus that we need you guys and he's really good to us so um uh, certainly you guys are dismissed. If anybody has any questions or concerns or any ways that we can love you or love each other, then uh, let's talk about those things uh, together. So uh, you guys are dismissed this week.